This is Gareth Southgate, and this is the Three Lions Podcast. Welcome to the Three Lions podcast. My name is Russell Osborne and this is an independent England football supporters podcast. Thank you, as always, for joining me. Hope you enjoyed the most recent episode, the one where I took a look back at all the players that have let England down by being sent off. It's still available to check out at threelionspodcast.com or your chosen podcast provider. Hopefully, it'll be a while until I have to update it. In fact, the Lionesses, well, they got through their most recent game with all 11 still intact. And I'll be speaking with Steve Hopper about that game against Northern Ireland very soon. And then after that, we'll speak with Callum Clifton from It's Coming Home TV about his England memories. On the news front, a couple of things. Most recent is the news that the FA have confirmed that they have submitted a bid to host the 2030 World Cup alongside Scotland, Wales, Northern Ireland and Ireland. It's not really new news, as I seem to remember speaking about it in a podcast around two or three years ago when the idea was first mooted. Another World Cup bid, I hear you say. Uh, just looking back over the uh, the history of our World Cup bids, 1990, 1998 too, uh, initial interest was made before withdrawing. And then some of you may remember the most recent disasters um, of tournament bidding. That was the 2006 bid where the FA, according to a Guardian article, spent £10.5 million on a failed bid, and that had the backing from Tony Blair, Bobby Charlton, Jeff Hurst, Michael Owen, and we received two votes and were eliminated in the second round. Germany went on to host it, and they well, they made a damn good job of it, didn't they? Fronted by Prince William, David Beckham and Bobby Charlton again, along with £19 million that was spent on a disastrous 2018 World Cup bid where we were knocked out again after only two votes. Uh, Behind joint bids from Belgium and the Netherlands, Portugal and Spain, and of course the tournament eventually went to Russia, who again, like Germany, well, they hosted a good one. So that brings us to this bid. Prime Minister Boris Johnson announced in the Sun newspaper, we are very, very keen to bring football home in 2030. I do think it's the right place. On the 2nd of March, the FA released a statement saying, We've joined the Scottish Football Association, Football Association of Wales, Irish Football Association and Football Association of Ireland in welcoming the government's pledge of £2.8 to kickstart a potential bid for the 2030 FIFA World Cup. And it goes on to say the football associations and government partners of the UK and Ireland are delighted that the UK government has committed to support a prospective five association bid for the 2030 FIFA World Cup. We will continue to undertake feasibility work to assess the viability of a bid before FIFA formally open the process in 2022. Staging a FIFA World Cup would provide an incredible opportunity to deliver tangible benefits for our nations. 
If a decision is made to bid for the event, we look forward to presenting our hosting proposals to FIFA and the wider global football community. Other bidders include Morocco, who must have spent the equivalent of their national debt on World Cup bids. They seem to do it every time the opportunity arises. Uh, Bless them, they just don't get it, do they? Spain and Portugal have put their hat in the ring too, but probably the biggest threat to a UK and Ireland bid comes from Latin America in the form of a joint bid from Uruguay, Argentina and Paraguay. The very first World Cup was held in 1930 in Uruguay, so FIFA may see this as an opportunity to reward it to them 100 years on. I don't know. Uh, Personally, I'm not overly fussed about getting it. When I think about previous tournaments I've been to, that's half the fun, exploring and enjoying a new country. I've been up and down this country enough times. Anyway, let's not get too carried away. No decision will be made until... 2024. Now, in relation to the summer's European Championships, so many newspaper reports, web articles, people generally commenting about what's going to happen or what's not going to happen, then it all becomes a bit of a blur. One thing you'll read is that England will be hosting it. UEFA say we won't. One reads that Scottish fans will be okay to come for the England game. Then another article will mention stadiums will be full especially following the government's most recent news, which actually, if you are listening from outside of the UK, let me just give you a brief synopsis, uh, is that lockdown will end, supposedly, fingers crossed, on the 21st of June, as I say, if all goes to plan. This following a progressive plan that opens schools in March and outdoor organised sport later in the month. April sees the reopening of non-essential retail and outdoor hospitality. May, it will seem that the inside of pubs will be open and then that all-important 21st of June, which is the day before we play the Czech Republic in our last group game. And this is sort of where the excitement levels increase. Because with no restrictions, why couldn't there be 90,000 inside of Wembley with away fans in attendance? Hmm? Dunno. Uh, Until UEFA confirm the tournament details, then I don't see the point in speculating. And they said they would announce something in early April. Although, following the government's announcement, the Supporters Travel Club issued an email stating that they will work with their relevant stakeholders in order to establish what this means for our upcoming fixtures. Which to me, sounds hopeful for Romania and Austria. But there's me speculating, something I said we didn't want to do. (laughs) Now the Lionesses played their first game in 349 days. Their last outing, a 1-0 loss against Spain in 2020's She Believes Cup. Northern Ireland were up next. So let's cast our mind back a week or so and speak with presenter and Lionesses fan Steve Hopper. Steve, hello there. Hello, Russell. How are you? Not too bad. Yourself? I'm doing very well, all things considered. Actually, I'm doing very well because the spring is arriving. We're we're pretty much in spring now, aren't we? Yeah, I'll give you spring, yeah. So I'm doing pretty well and I think things are moving forward and I'm doing even better now that women's football is back for England. Yeah, good to hear. I mean, I mentioned that Spain game and quite possibly one of the last times we spoke almost a year ago because you were there, weren't you? 
I was, yeah. Not the greatest tournament that we've ever had, but <laughs> um, lots of pluses to take from from that tournament. Sometimes you've got to take two steps backwards in order to go forward one. And I know that's not really the phrase you use, but occasionally that does happen too. It was a very sunny day, I remember, because we were out in uh, out in Texas, actually, well, you- for that one. Yeah, I mean, they played in front of a crowd, but I mean, I say moving forward, this game wasn't played in front of a crowd. And, and I've got a feeling this was one of the first games, an international, to be played at St George's Park. It was played behind closed doors and against Northern Ireland. Yeah, that's right. Usually at St George's Park, you would have a few bits and pieces. I mean, there have been training games that have played at St George's Park beautiful place been there many times um like my second home now and they have a lovely <laughs> lovely hotel up there as well uh which I frequently stay at quite often with these sort of training games if you like uh they would have people that would be allowed to be in attendance competition winners for instance media families that kind of thing but actually on this occasion there was no fans no competition winners no media there was uh, work being done to to one of the stands, I think, which was another reason. So it wasn't just due to COVID. Right. Very unique situation uh, on a very windy day, actually. Oh, wasn't it, just? I was going to say that. If you watched it, which obviously you and I both did, then uh, and if any of your listeners happened to watch the game, then they would possibly have seen the camera shaking quite a lot. It was very unsteady and quite mm. it made me feel quite seasick at yeah. times just watching that. But, uh, but at least it gave you an interpretation of how windy it actually was. I mean... It didn't take away from the fact of of how good England were. It was a a six nil resounding result. But I mean, after after I'd watched it, I thought to myself, well, was it as good as it actually was, or was it maybe just a uh, maybe more of a, uh, a training game? I mean, there's the, the diff- There's so many points to raise with this. I mean, the difference between Northern Ireland and and England in quality is is massive. There are. 40-something places between the two of them in, in rankings. So there's a huge, huge difference between the two sides. England have got world-class players and and Northern Ireland don't really. There's, that's, you know, there's a huge difference there. Based on that alone, that is enough to cause a 6-0 drubbing. Not only that, but also it's a situation that there haven't been any games for such a long time, like you yeah. say, since the She Believes Cup. It's it's very much a training game because there's nothing to compare to. You can't just all of a sudden not have any matches for any competitive matches in any sense for a year. All of a sudden come out and say, right, this is this is gonna be a statement of any kind it's 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 just it's unfair on either side yeah. quite frankly to actually suggest anything at all that said you can't take away from the dominance you can't it's important not to it's important to look at some of the positives from the game yeah, I was going to say what what can be learned from it by uh, by the new management staff well I think the first thing is the fact that we've we've got a brand new interim manager in Hege Risa. I quite like her style. I mean, she's the interim manager, first of all. So she's only going to be in charge for a few months. That's since the departure of Phil Neville, of course, as as we know. She has an opportunity at the moment to shape the the team in a certain mould and and see whether that carries us forward going on. It's a very awkward time. I mean, just over a year until Euro 2022. And it's a very difficult time. It's not ideal. It's not ideal to have an interim manager at this point because... Everything that she puts in place and her team could change, but there could be some stuff that that will carry forward, um, which is often what happens with with varying interim managers. But I think what's interesting is that she really she didn't just 
sit back. The team didn't sit back against Northern Ireland. She allowed a chance for four debutants to come on during the match. There was ruthless aggression that took place throughout the throughout the game. For instance, Ellen White scoring her first hat-trick ever in an England shirt. With a football at her feet, she is just the most aggressive player. I can't think of many that aren't more aggressive than Ellen White. She is right. just, she's on it, you know. She, she just. One thing I noticed was the Japan game at the She Believes Cup. She was the goal scorer there. Uh, obviously she was. Didn't, obviously didn't score against Spain or Lions didn't. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and fast forward a year and she was the first on the score sheet again. She's a veteran now we we know she's a veteran she is likely coming to the end of her tournaments but she's she's in her prime still you know like she's she is a world class striker she is a goal scorer she's a poacher she knows what to do she knows the positions to be in she is just perfect for england and she will strike a partnership with any forward that england want to bring on she's she's she seems to adapt. She's just very, very adaptable. She's adapting to the new players coming through to play alongside her. You mentioned four debutants. We had, uh, was it Sandy McIver in goal, Charlotte Wubbenmoy, Ebony Salmon mm. came on, uh, and Ella Toon as well, didn't she? Um, yeah. She's a debutant. So these players are coming through and they're going to learn from Ellen White, aren't they? Totally. Um, and some of these players that that are coming forward and it doesn't matter what position they come come through they're going to they're going to get an awful lot of leadership from Ellen White as well you know she she knows how to act on and off the pitch uh, she's a great role model role model off the pitch and when it comes to being on the pitch like i say she's she's ruthless and she will she will lead the team by example and uh, it's uh, it's important to have those type of characters well, i think you can put Jill Scott is in amongst that that bracket of a leader. I mean, 150 caps is is just phenomenal, isn't it? Remarkable. Another another veteran, another player that is wonderful off the pitch, wonderful role model, great to talk to. She's great fun to be around. And when it comes to being on the pitch, all business. Much like Ellen White, she's still still very much raring to go. She's still there. And yes, she is probably in her twilight twilight years now of her career. Uh, on 150 caps, it's it's remarkable. She was talking the other day about how she's had good well wishes from royal family. And I mean, of course, she's an MBE now. And it might have been Prince William who actually posted a letter to her or something, she said. Really? Um, which is quite, yeah. And it's it just goes to show where she's at. She is a national treasure. And she is someone that lots of little girls are going to look up to she would be the perfect role model to look towards think well how can I become successful how can I not only become successful in the career that I want to be successful in but how can I become a mainstay and if you look towards the way that Jill Scott has developed in her entire career she's another person who has adapted to the game another world-class player in my view it's gonna be hard to imagine anybody or many people catching up with the likes of Farah or Jill in the future. It's not, um, surely not going to happen again, really, is it, in, in the women's game to get uh, that amount of caps? I don't think so. I think that is it's the limitations of the, of the women's game that have allowed so many caps over the years, not to take away, obviously, of the achievements no, of the likes of Farah and Jill, of course, but certainly with the flood of talent that is coming forward now. Uh, there's going to be a lot more opportunities. There are a lot more opportunities for women to flourish in the game. And that's going to only be good from an England perspective. And of course, that's going to hopefully lead to trophies, which is what we all want. 
Absolutely. And one more game to be looking forward to in April time, I think it is. We've got Canada at home, which would mm. possibly be a be a little bit more harder in terms of 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 level. Yeah, it should be. Actually, the Canadian it's it's gonna bring um uh, an interesting dynamic from one of the coaches who's now gone on to lead uh, Canada. So she's going to make a quick route back to England. We're and talking Beth Priestman here, aren't we? We are indeed. Canada are an incredible team who are going to make, well, they have been making big strides in, in recent years to uh, to develop their game and their positioning in world football. It's going to be a very different challenge to Northern Ireland. And it's going to be a useful one to see sort of where we're at in terms of our our quality with our current squad that we have. Be, I think that we should probably not be too expectant on what occurs from, from Canada. Again, much like the Northern Ireland game. But it will be another useful situation to progress. And for Hegarisa to and her coaching staff to work out what she makes of the current squad and also whether she brings in any new debutants or whether she comes up with a different different tactics, a different formation perhaps. Yeah. Well, no, Steve, thank you very much for your time. Let's hope for come that Canada game, you can uh, you can get along to see it as a uh, in the media surroundings that you're in. I mean, uh, even if just to uh, to hold the camera still. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm more, more than happy to do that. If I get to get closer to the action, then uh, that would be, yeah, I think they might need that. So yeah, I'm there. No, let's let's hope that obviously the progress that uh, that the country is making at the moment that uh, you're going to be in a position in the media world to go ahead and and get to the game and and maybe tell us a little bit more about it. Absolutely. All right, Russell. I'll keep you posted. Nice one, Steve. Take care. Cheers. You too. to steve hopper there you can give him a follow on twitter and instagram at steve hopper tv now for my second chat of this episode one i recorded just a little while back i'd like to welcome southampton and england fan callum clifton to the three lions podcast callum you're right yeah not too bad all good yeah thanks for joining us yeah as i say southampton and england fan and some people may recognize your voice as a uh, as a member of the coming home tv crew yeah just started up that little project so i hope you're taking bigger steps in the next couple of years when obviously we're allowed back in our, in our thousands to watch england games but it's nice to be involved with something and get in the community of that sort of people yourself and other content creators yeah we've spoken to sam goldsworth already about it but but yourself how did you come to be part of it well it was um it was the off chance really um i'd always been interested in youtube content creating since i was a kid i've always wanted to do it as like, was my thing i wanted to do when i was a kid never really got the stride to do it but then sam sort of created something on the off chance and i was something i'd really never thought about doing obviously i you do it on your own but you want more people and he created it all up and i messaged him and i said i said i'm really interested in this if you need a helping hand i mean i've got contacts here and there like through youtube and through other media outlets other football clubs and we just got on board of it i got some like little bits of graphics made for him and it's just ever since then and like it gets you creative it, like for yourself it gets you creative going of ideas to do it. it's like, i want to do this i want to do that and it's like it's taking baby steps but once you get somewhere it's really fun to do and it's obviously at the minute as well it helps you through like having a chat with your mates and stuff and you know you're helping them having a chat it's just nice to you know say what you think about football and England and such like that on a camera and you're not alone and you can share an opinion so yeah. like it's baby steps but I'm really enjoying it at the minute yeah no good stuff it's, it's coming along really well and and as I said to Sam a little while ago it was uh it's good to be part of it to be invited along so so thanks for that England let's talk England what 
what's your earliest England memory? Oh, my earliest England memory is probably when I was about five, six. I remember staying up to watch a couple of the Euro 2004 games. I think the one against France where we got done over late on. Yeah. And um, the, the game against Portugal, unfortunately, got knocked out. That's probably my earliest sort of England memory. And then going forward, I remember watching the um, 2006 World Cup games in my nan's pub, like in the local village when she used to have a pub. And it was like, obviously... In, from then onwards, you get the people gathering together. You sort of realise what it means. And going forward, I'd watch it on the telly. And then growing up, I never really got the opportunity to go and watch England unless it was with a school trip or with like my mates or something. Because my parents weren't exactly, you know, big, massive football fans that go every week or occasionally go. It was always like me asking them if I can go. And then when I got to the age of like 15, 16, where I could go myself, I started buying tickets. And then obviously that's how you get get to know people and go to sort of away games and sort of that. And yeah, I'm not really not there now and I rarely ever miss a game on telly unless unfortunately I'm working. <laughs> and recently, uh, we're looking back, it'll be the back end of 2020 where England played their games last year. What were your thoughts on on the recent England performances or most recent? Well, um, it's a, it, was, it was something I felt really strongly about in the thing, I think, we let ourselves down slightly. I think if you look at the Nations League, I think those two games against Denmark cost us a place in the semi-final. I said to, I said this on the video to the lads. I said, you look at that, not the re- most recent international rate, the one before it. We beat Belgium on the Sunday and then lost to Denmark on the Wednesday and that overshadowed the fact we beat Belgium. I'm not saying it's, a, I'm not saying it's, it's an excuse or anything. I think we played the wrong tactic in those games. I think it was a very... Peculiar. I don't think we, I know we had our injuries, and I know obviously it's an experimental time for Gareth, and obviously trying to find something for next year. He's been given sort of an extra leeway to find the way he wants to play, obviously due to the COVID circumstances. It wasn't. It wasn't the best to watch. Even the Belgium home game wasn't the greatest in, in the world to watch. It was sort of like a defensive display, and I just didn't agree with the three four three. It's not something that suits me. Playing, I think we had four right backs in the squad mm-hmm. for um, what the previous international break and playing out of position players. Like, I I mean, I like Saka as a, like, for example, I like Saka as a player, but I think he's more of an attacking player. Mm-hmm. Having him going up and down the wing, I just, it didn't suit me. But hopefully, going forward into March and obviously the Euros and stuff, because March, obviously, it's not the norm. We've got friend, we haven't, sorry, we haven't got friendlies, we've got World Cup qualifiers. And the likelihood is we could come against someone who we've got in the groups, you know, Scotland, Czech Republic. We could come up against them in qualifying. So it's a perfect chance for him to, you know, play a team in a competitive situation, which he, you know, oh, sorry, a tactic he can play in a competitive situation going forward to the Euro. So who knows? It's a proving ground. But at the minute, I'm just kind of like, wait and see. Wait and see when we've got all our players fit and then see what it does. And if it continues with something, you know, that we don't like, it's getting a bit of scrutiny, then you can sort of comment on it then. But it's all right now. But obviously, going forward, you've got to look at it in a bit, bit more detail. But we'll, yeah. we'll see. Obviously, come March. Are you prepared to put your hat on the line? And what, with regards to the Euros next year, where do you think we'll come? I'd love to. It's weird. I'd love to. Obviously, I think we'll win the group. Hundred percent, think we'll win the group. But it's just, it's, it's an awkward situation where, like the Euros, uh, sorry, like the World Cup, you win the group and you come up against a trickier opponent. Obviously, you've got the likes of Germany, France, and Portugal potential game in Dublin if we win the group. Obviously, you want it to. Obviously, the old saying to win the competition, you have to beat the best. Yeah, and I feel confident. Obviously, against teams of Germany, I think I think we could beat on our day. Germany, Portugal, France. It just depends what England turns up. That age-old saying, what England turns up on the day to um, to win the game. But it depends. I think I'd I'd love a semi-finals. A spirited, not spirited. A, a team that's given one hundred and ten percent 
if obviously crowds are allowed in front of a home crowd for most of our games, apart from the one in Ireland, which is practically, you know, a home yeah. get a lot of England fans. As close as we anyway. can get. Yeah, as close as we can get as an away game. And I just, as long as we give 110%, and if we don't go out with a wimp sort of thing, if we got through the, to the last 16 and got battered 4 0, it's, it's, it's a bit of a tarnish. If we go out, if we did go out in the last 16 to your likes of your Germany, your France, your Portugal's, and gave 110 and said, you know, we were unlucky that day. It's disappointing, but you can sort of have your head held high. I'd love semi finals, especially with at Wembley. I, minimum, I think it'd be gutting, but I'd take a semi final. Yeah. Okay, well, well, we shall uh, keep our fingers crossed for that. Everyone's hoping or for that semi-final place, especially being yeah. at home. Yeah, well, we'll see, we'll see. Now, one thing, you you are a Southampton fan. Do you get to, I was going to say the Dell there, but uh, do you get to St Mary's often? Um, I guess. Can my well, age there? <laughs> <laughs> I get as often as I can to um, St, St Mary's. Obviously, growing up, as like I said, I didn't have much opportunity to go there. Mm. I mean, my granddad was a Southampton fan, so that's how I supported Southampton as a kid. But um, Obviously, since I've turned 15, 16, started my own, earning my own money, I go to I used to go to St Mary's every other week. But I sort of got involved with a local non-league club, um, Taunton, which is just down the road for me. I got yep. down, got involved with them a few times and did some media outlets for them and filming and stuff. So I sort of used to balance my books. I'd go to Southampton more, but I'd obviously go and check out other grounds. I'm like a massive fan of going to different grounds and stuff on my off chance on a, on a Saturday or see if Southampton weren't playing, I'd go somewhere just to tick it off and I. I love that aspect of going to watch football, yeah. seeing new things. But I get, I obviously before COVID, I get down as much as I can. Obviously, I do prefer. Obviously, sometimes I do prefer like the away games because, and the where where I used to sit and stuff, it wasn't you know my kind of cup of tea. Like I, for years, obviously, I get tickets available, the tickets again in the sitting down section. I'd hate it. I'd hate it. I mean, but going forward, when I was eighteen, nineteen. I got a season ticket for a couple of seasons, and obviously went down as much as I could and. Obviously, going to, going to Premier League away games is a bit different to going to England away games, but it's nice, you know. It's 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 not like you follow you follow a, I follow a big club, Southampton, but I don't follow a massive club. Mm. Obviously, we're not here on year expected to do stuff, but it's it's nice, and I love it every time I go down there. Obviously, it's lucky because my partner lives about half an hour from Southampton, so if we ever go down and see them, I'm like, <laughs> let me get on the next train from yeah. where from there to Southampton to go watch them so that's 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 a little perk okay <laughs> I mean what did you go to the Kosovo game down there what was it like seeing England play at your home ground it was oh it was it was obviously it was buzzing for me to um because obviously I think the choices were um Southampton and then Ashton Gate dropped out I think so that was both you read about it perfect it's only like Southampton's kind of my home ground I've been there 50 to 100 times and then Bristol City was like half an hour on the train up the road for me and for me to be saying to my mates, I'm the closest one to this game. Yeah. I'm going to be first home at the end of the night. It was surreal because I wasn't sat in my normal sort of block I sit in, but it was still, it was the opposite end, I think, where we were to where I normally sit. And it was like, sort of like, I know everything. I was like, oh, we go here, we'll go there. It was certainly surreal to like watch them. Going forward, I'd love to see England play more there. Obviously, it's, it, that's another, that's a separate debate whether England can play in different grounds. But it's nice, obviously, I think, also, I went to the women's game against Wales a couple of years before that, and it's just okay. nice to, you know, nice to be like, nice to not get. Obviously, you get behind the team and stuff, but it's nice. It's a, it's a different feel, really, yeah. when you're watching your national team play at your club team. It's, it's a different feeling, which obviously you can only describe if you've had it. I yeah. suppose. Well, we, we mentioned away games there, England away. Tell us about your first England away game. Well, my first. In the way was um, Spain away in 2018, oh. just after the World Cup boom. Oh. Just after the World Cup boom, 
honestly, I'd wanted to do it for ages and ages. And then a year or so before, like I mentioned, Michael, obviously my mate Michael, he got me into it. And then he said, you're going to come with us to wherever we, uh, away games and qualifies. The Nations League just happened to have started. So he said, we'll get on the Spain. And we got on the Spain. Wing and I didn't actually get a ticket in the away end for that game. Right. Um, me, uh, Michael and a couple of us did. I mean, my mate, my mate Matt, we got tickets in the home end, like the off chance. And we literally, when we got in there, we were about, I'd say about on the halfway line to where the England fans were. So we literally just walked down to where the away end, way end like, but I don't even know what it is. And it's not a security, it's just like a massive glass panel it was in, in Seville. Yeah. And we just walked down there and then it was about 50 to 100 England fans just on the other side of it. So it felt like you're in the away end. Yeah. But officially you weren't and didn't get a cap for it. But it was such, it was, I can't, dis- you, if you haven't been to an England away game, you can't describe the experience of being on an England away game. Your thought in your head is, you're in a, normally when you go to different city, you think, oh, let's go and have a look at this. But you're, you're in support. It's, let's go and find where the atmosphere is. Probably find an Irish bar somewhere. And just, just in general, it's just getting away from it. And it's, everyone's there. It's like, it's a hobby. Everyone's there for the same reason. Everyone's booked time off work to go and spend three or four days spending however much money you've spent to get there. Obviously Spain's closed, but it's it's still expensive. But wherever it is, and it was such a nice experience to finally say, look, I've done an England away game. I'm part I'm not just one of those. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm not just one of those that watches England. You're part of the hardcore and it's that group of people and you can have a conversation with anybody. I rule out if you're a Portsmouth fan or Bournemouth fan or whatever. Love having a conversation with them. I think they're brilliant on England away games if I'm being honest. There's it's the laugh and banner, it's a different aspect. And as soon as you get back from that sort of away game, obviously that was a great. It was it was a great way to start. It was what three and a lap after half an hour in Seville, and it was absolutely superb. And then obviously to go back home, and you think, I think the next time you go is like, you've got, oh, when's the next one? When's the next one? I think the next one for me was obviously the Nations League after that. But obviously I've, I've done a few. I think I was a, I was a tad unlucky with ticket allocations in the qualifying group, so I wanted to go to all of them, but due to ticket allocations, I couldn't really justify it. But it was, it was such a surreal experience to finally do something I've been wanting to do for like three or four years and then just being surrounded, like I said, being surrounded by fantastic people and just in the sun apart yeah. from match day when well, it was, absolutely bucketed. I was going <laughs> to say, it was such a frustrating game this one for me because I uh, I remember where I was. I was watching it in a pub because I, I was just unable to go to this one. Yeah. Um, and hearing all, I've been to Seville before and I've been to that ground, albeit before it was... Uh, redone up but by all accounts it, it absolutely hammered down didn't it during the day yeah it was it was a weird one so we obviously um we went to an, an irish bar by the river on the fir- on the sunday because we were in barcelona from the friday because me okay. and a few of us just booked to go to spain so we could have a platform because the fa the spanish fa didn't announce the ground until about two months before the game so we were just we booked barcelona and then luckily the flights were cheap to get down to Seville on the sunday morning and then on the monday it was sunny in the morning and then as we get to this little indoor bar it just starts bucking it down you just see people coming in racking their flags in from the street getting them back inside and you're in there drinking all day and then by the time it's time to leave i think we for some reason me and my mate decided to walk which was about a 40 minute walk from the stadium was 40 minutes from down i said there is a bus you can get so i went down to the club shop to get one of their shirts during the day and it was like there is a bus down there but um it's just it's walking that way so we decided to walk it it started it was absolutely heaving down it was just already something you could write when english were there i think the weather i was looking at the weather through the two weeks before i didn't go it's beautiful and my nan's telling me who's been to spain loads of times it's beautiful at that time of year and obviously the day of the game and it was open top as well yeah but luckily it didn't rain throughout the game it just leathered it down all day and you just think well just typical in it i'm only packed shorts (laughs) and you just just embrace it i suppose 
part and part of the experience. That's right. I mean, just looking at the game, it was it was two goals from Raheem Sterling, uh, either side of Marcus Rashford's, and you say three nil up at half time. I mean, what what was it like there at half time? What was uh, people getting excited and thinking? Well, maybe we can score more. It was it was such a one of those I think you could probably describe it when you go to an away away game and you're not favourites to win the game. Well, maybe not favourites to win the game, but not favourites to technically batter Spain in that first half. And then um, we were just he was when the first goal in obviously fantastic. Second goal, okay, this is brilliant. And then you sort of score a third. It's like it's sort of disbelief, and you you're smiling, you're jumping around like a lunatic. And you, at half time, I'm just like, well, like wow, wow, okay, don't step off. Obviously, your back of your mind creeps in, say, don't step off it, don't step off it. We didn't step off it as much. We defended well in the second half. It was just, it was like, if we could get a fourth or fifth, it would it would have been amazing. But I think the key thing was obviously cementing the win in that game and getting a getting a response, obviously, because we lost to Spain, I think, in um, September at home and then yeah. drew with Croatia on the Friday. It sort of gave us a platform to go on and win that group. And it was just, obviously, everyone was buzzing after the game. I bumped into Harry Winks, which was another story. Did you? After the game. I was, yeah, because we were we decided to wait for a bus after the game, after everyone had left, because obviously where I wasn't in the away end, my mates, we had to wait 15 minutes for them to come out because they got held back after the game, like so often England fans do get held back. And obviously we wait for them, so we decided to get a bus instead of getting a taxi. And then I thought I'd have a wander around and I saw like the England bus. I thought, let's go and have a look around see if I can just see him anybody. And Harry Winks comes out, grab a photo with him and just have a little chat with him. And he's down to earth and he said, it's a lovely bloke. And just chatting about, he was. I said, "What did you get the yellow card for in that game?" He said, "I got booked for asking what the um, how long was left to the referee." <laughs> and just it's sort of it's sort of things you wouldn't expect to happen. It just was like the cherry on top of my night. Really, you're seeing the win, and then you just have a little conversation with Harry Winks. And then coincidentally, the next day, me, Michael, and that lot bumped into the Sky Sports crew in Seville Airport. I met had a photo with Jamie Redknapp and Alan Smith, and Glenn Oddle was there. It was such a surreal couple of days. You think this wouldn't have happened? You thought like, England have won, and then you've gone and met everybody. And you're helping the Sky Sports camera crew taking their cameras through security. No, wow. <laughs> actually, interesting yeah. interesting fact on um, that actually concerns Harry Winks. He he was substituted in the, the 90th minute. Do you know who came on for him? No. Nathaniel Shaloba. Shalabar. I, do you know, I can never pronounce his name. Nathaniel Shalabar came on. And that was, his, that was his only ever cap to this day. And I think he got, what? A minute, two minutes, thirty seconds. Yeah, well, I think we conceded a goal, but then the whistle blew. But I suppose you can say that. But yeah, it's one of those one cap. Well, not even a one cap one. I think it was in the squad. <laughs> so I just got her. Uh, I wonder if he actually much. touched the ball. <laughs> That's something to look back on. To be fair, it's only a cap if you touch the ball. It's like um, David Nugent's one in two thousand and seven. Yeah, when, when it was was it his goal or wasn't his goal? <laughs> yes, I remember. I was at that one. That was in Spain, in in Barcelona for that one. Yes, it was. Uh, yeah, when Andorra didn't play there, but yeah, that was. Did he? Did was it his goal or was it not? So, That's right. One, yeah. Another one of the one cap wonder list. Well, I mean, what a great first away game. I mean, how much was your ticket and did you feel safe in the away end? Well, it was, my ticket was, well, I basically tried to, there was a few people selling them on Twitter and I just said, I'll take three um, because a couple of my mates wanted one. Um, my mate, Matt, wanted one and he was he was coming out with someone that wanted one. So I paid about 50, 50 euros each for a ticket right. just to get my, because I didn't want to go to like, I wanted to be in the ground. I didn't want to try and risk it before the game. So I thought, I'll buy this because you couldn't, buy a ticket without a Spanish address or a Spanish credit card or something like that. Right. So you have to rely on somebody. We I got it through a guy that lived in Spain or something and who was English and sold a few. 
going into the ground, we just we just we came up with a cover story. We just said, "Oh, we're Welsh. We're here to what we're on holiday, sort of thing." If they do ask, but we just kept quiet. As soon as we went in, they just sort of were speaking Spanish to us. We just kept quiet. Walked up to the ground, and we we're about half, literally, but just past the halfway line. And we looked at it, and we went, "Can we get down?" I said, "We might as well have a look and see if we can get down there and just have a walk." We looked at our seats. I was like, "No, nah, we're not going down here." So we had, we had a walk, and then there was a little glass, another glass panel behind behind the stands where the England fans were. So we'll, we'll go up here and then just see if we can see where we are. We went down the front and sat there and we thought we'll sit there. I said, well, oh, there seems to be about 20 England fans at the back. So we went and joined him. He said, do you mind if we join you up here in case we get like someone comes over and tells us to sit down? And it was so funny because the game started and we were in these seats and I was, because I'm small, I was just like curved into the barrier with a couple of other lads like in this there. My mate and his mate were in the front of me and everyone around us was England. There was England fans sat on the stairs because they just wanted to sit near the England fans. There was, it was all it was so funny. They were all just sat around and there was a couple of three or four Spanish blokes a few rows away from us who just kept swearing at us all game. Just like, didn't like the fact that we were there, but obviously they were outnumbered. There was nothing going to happen. They were just your typical, typical people just giving you loads of crap at football. But that was it. And it was, we felt safe as anything because we stayed behind after the game until the stewards told us to leave. And we were talking to England fans and the England fans in the away end knew we were there. And we were like, a couple of them did climb over oh, really? to the away end. A couple yeah. of them, yeah, there was, it was really odd because it was sort of a few rows in, there was a few seats in, there was police. But a couple of them did brave it. And I just thought, there's no point. It was half time. I'm having a good time. I'm not, I'm literally in an unofficial, unofficial England end. And it's like, there's no point. We're throwing a lot. I'm not going to blow it now. So I just thought, yeah, we all stayed in there. And it was nothing wrong. It was perfectly safe. And again, we just went back into the city and had another drink after the game. Great stuff. The more I hear about this game, the more I, the more I wish I could have gone. But it just, <laughs> it just wasn't possible. Wasn't possible. Well, he's hoping for, uh, he's hoping for some more away games like that in the, uh, in the near future. Oh, fingers crossed. Hopefully, yeah. hopefully we don't get a nice one in March, which we can't go to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, we will, we will see. So, uh, yeah, Callum, thank you very much for your time here on on the Freelines podcast. You, are you on Twitter? Do you want to give your Twitter account away? Oh, my Twitter is Callum three zero eight one, and obviously it's coming home TV. You want to follow yep. that one as well? Yep. But I, I rant about Southampton all the time and rant about several sporting things. So, if you're in that sort of, you're in for a debate or just want to. <laughs> more account followers I'm there (laughs) great stuff Callum thank you very much for your time and yeah let's catch up at some stage cheers buddy thank you cheers to Callum there and Steve before him Thanks for listening. If you've liked what you've heard, why not tell your friends? Why not give it a review on the likes of iTunes? Plus, you can follow the podcast on all the social media channels, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. As always, just search Three Lions Podcast. I'll be back very soon with another episode with some more England content. It's not going to be long before we've got a game to talk about. Uh, I've also been speaking with various England fans about their memories too. So stay subscribed for that. I'm sure you'll enjoy it. So until the next time, take care, stay safe, keep positive. Not wanting to wish it away, but um, no, actually, I do want to wish it here quickly. Uh, The 21st of June will be here before we know it. So uh, yeah, stay positive. Cheers. Cheers.